says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020, and it's a Tuesday NRO and Newsday, which means I've got to send out the bats to do. News team, assemble! Joining me on the award-winning TCT Nonstop News Network hashtag or asterisk award pending is my good mate Sixties. How you doing, big fella? Well, mate, I've been sleeping in the TCT studios. Seeing <laughs> as we're turning these out on a daily basis. Yeah. Why go home, mate? Why yeah, go home? The old short week in the NRL means a short week for TCT as we go back to back to back with that special podcast yesterday with Jersey Fleet Captain Corey Fenning. Corey Fenning, sorry. Obviously, today the uh, news podcast and tomorrow the preview. And of course, we can't do a news podcast without our resident expert, Nat Spiro. How you doing, big, uh, big fella? Wonderful intro, John. Lovely to speak to you guys again, and you're ripping through this content. It seems like I'm hearing your voices every day as well. <laughs> you might just be. You might just be. <laughs> it's uh, been a very, oh, great. very busy week in the NRL with both the Eels and Beyond Spiros. We've got a lot to talk about. Last time we caught up, I believe it was day of Origin Game 3. Unfortunately, that game didn't quite go the way we were hoping with the Queenslanders prevailing to snag the series. Sixties and I have spoken at length about that entire result, not just on the game-free basis, but the entire series. I'm just keen to hear what you thought about it now that the series is done and dusted. Can I just begin by saying that was, for me, and I know I'm a bit of a junior and I'm a bit young, but that was one of the best State of Origin matches I think I've ever seen in my 19 years. And just the intensity, the way that the game started – and the fire in the belly that was there, it was just unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. And at the end of the day, it was disappointing that the Blues couldn't get the job done. But you've got to give Queensland a lot of credit because the, the determination and the grit from them, given that they only had 15 players um, on the night because you had those two that were ruled out due to mm-hmm. uh, concussions, it was a, a valiant effort and, and a really, really interesting game. It, you were on your edge on the edge of your seat for the full 80 minutes. And I want to also give a mention to Saifidi. Um, he was just absolutely brilliant on debut, some really good runs and some great impact. Junior Bolo was also uh, a key part of the puzzle for the Blues. It would have been nice to see RCG in there at some point and also Maddo. But unfortunately, as we know, they were not recalled uh, to the team after their performances in game one. But a, a tough result in the end for the Blues. Well done to Billy Slater and the Maroons. And uh, I'm sure that it'll be a, a, another great series again next year. Already looking forward to it. Oh, it was a cracker. Yeah. It was an absolute cracker of a game. But we, we still have our issues around uh, selection processes, that sort of thing. But you, you can't deny that the intensity of the game was at a level that we haven't seen at Origin for some time. And it, it boiled over at some stages. And... That was probably one of the things that a lot of people, um, rightly or wrongly, enjoyed watching. Oh, I mean, the first, that's the spirit of origin, right? Yeah. That, that, like, I mean, I say controlled, but at times it probably spilled over a little bit. But that controlled violence that we saw in the first 20 minutes is what elevates that part of rugby league to arguably the most interesting sport to watch across the globe when it's at its absolute peak and its zenith. And we saw that in Origin 3 where those two teams just went hammer and tong in the first 20 minutes. No one gave any concern about their own personal health. They were throwing it, you know, everything at each other. And that's why we saw such an insane opening. And, you know, the, as a spectacle and as theatre, you couldn't ask for much more in a series decider. And that's why, guys, I've been a little bit frustrated this week with some comments from some journalists in the media saying that, you know, the Blues don't have any heart or, you know, the Maroons have more, they, they, they love the jersey more. Like, it's just not fair because you look at the intensity of that game and the spirit in which it was played and every player on that field, 1-17, to 17, wore their heart on their sleeve. They threw their bodies at the contest. They put everything on the line. So all of these comments this week about 
and and it, it's continued over the last couple of days, which has really frustrated me that you know some journalists are still hanging on to it. We're now almost a week since Origin, and you know the Blues they play crowd advantage, and it was a decider at Suncorp. We know the record that they have up there for game threes, so you can sort of expect that they may play with a little bit of a higher level of momentum or intensity because they got the crowd behind them. But still, it was a, a fantastic, fantastic game and all the players wore their hearts on their sleeves. So these comments about the jersey not meaning anything to New South Wales is absolute rubbish in my view. It's easy. Sorry, I'll let you go, 60s. Oh, I was just going to say, with this being the, the fallout, there's a lot that's come around about the eligibility of players, uh, most recent uh, being Victor Radley, is, is it time to view Origin in a slightly different light? Look, I think so, guys. I, I, I saw some comments this morning from Mal Meninga, the Kangaroos coach, which put it really nicely, and I agree wholeheartedly with his view and his stance on it because – the truth is the dynamic of the game's change. It's clear that we want to grow the international aspect of rugby league. And the only way that we're going to do that is by encouraging these top quality players that may be eligible for origin to actually pledge their allegiance to their ancestral nation. So Mal Meninga this morning has come out and said this, and I quote, my belief is you take away all the tears in place at an international level. If you're born in New South Wales or Queensland, you're eligible for origin. And if you then want to represent your ancestral nation, be it England or New Zealand, you can go and play for them, right? And that is my view. I agree with Mal. I think that's the way that it should be. If you're born here in New South Wales or Queensland, you should be allowed to play Origin. But if you've got family that were born overseas or you've got a certain background or culture uh, that you, you, you've got linked to you through your DNA and ancestry, well, you should be allowed to play for them as well. So that's... That's my view. They should change the eligibility rules. I think all this criticism aimed at Brian Thor was a little bit uncalled for. And maybe, yes, you know, I get 60s, your take takes on that. Um, you know, he, he probably didn't understand the rules that were in place and and whatnot. But I, I love seeing players, even Victor Radley, pledging his allegiance to England because that makes it more interesting. It's going to make the tournament a lot better and the quality of the game a lot better. So for mine, I agree with Mal. And I think the, the dynamic of state of origin probably changes a little bit. But, you know, that's, that's what I think needs to be done for the greater good of the game as a whole. I don't want to speak yeah. for you, 60s. I, I, but I was going to say, a lot of your gripe with it came from the fact that it was just making a mockery of the rules as written, wasn't it? Because this is an amendable compromise where you turn origin into more of an all-stars game, opening up the the selection criteria because it's, it's less strict. But in a way that we're not going to be making a joke of the selection rules. If you're eligible, it becomes a lot more easier to meet the criteria. Yeah, well, my my point around that was uh, that the comments, the statement by Brian Toto simply highlighted that there is a need for change because the moment that he declared before Origin 3 that he had no intention of representing Australia, according to the rules, which which are, are very, very clear in, in what they set out in terms of the eligibility of players. And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to go for the, the actual quote uh, from the rules in this regard because I think it's, I think it's important that, that people do understand it. Um, there is, uh, the, the rules actually state that you have to be uh, both eligible for and elect to play for Australia. It's it, it's there in black and white, and it then and it goes from there into a flow chart about where you were born or where you played your senior football, all that sort of stuff. But if we eliminate the the first the very first um, eligibility criteria, and I'll I'll read what it says. To qualify for state of origin, you must be eligible and elect to play for Australia and have not represented another Tier 1 nation at senior level. Now, people have said, oh, I was Tier 2, so it didn't apply. No, because if if that applied, then all you simply would say with the rules was um, to qualify for state of origin, you must not have represented another Tier 1 nation at senior level, right, if it had nothing to do with declaring your in. in intent to play for Australia. So what we have to do is to take out that entire part, that it doesn't exist. 
state of origin, as I now see it, is not representative football. State of origin is an all-stars match. And, it's, and the coaches are selecting the players who qualify for either New South Wales or Australia based on who they want in the team, not necessarily club form. That's been proven. How's it, how's it been proven? Well, from Queensland's point of view, they were selecting players like Gagai, who were having shockers of games in game one or two, but the coaches in Queensland have traditionally treated their players like family and stick solid. There is a difference in that, in the, in the way Queensland were this year with that. This year as well, Fittler ignored the claims of players who had good form and he, he basically was selecting players that he wanted. He's the coach. Again, it's not representative football as I see it. It is now an all-stars series. So let's, let's put the, the highlight where it should be now for, in representative football, which is to represent a nation. That has to now be the highlight. Remove all confusion around state of origin, take away that must elect to play for Australia, and then we don't have the sort of debate and fallout that we have had this week about who players are electing to play for after origin and therefore they're uh, throwing uh, doubt on their passion for their state. Because if you, st if you take all that other extraneous stuff out around the national stuff, you then have no questions based on, on nationality of passion for, for the blue or the maroon jersey. Mm -hmm. And I think that's uh, probably a nice place to put a bow, or at least I think put a bow on the State of Origin stuff for 2022. I suppose it depends on how it plays out in the media because there might be a few more twists and turns <laughs> to the, uh, the discussion on a national basis until they do amend those rules. But let's turn our eyes towards round 18 in the NRL, Spiro. Obviously, there's a fair few games taking place we can talk about after, but our focus is on the blue and gold. They had something close to a return to form, and by and large, it was a pretty good effort against New Zealand Warriors in that return to Combank Stadium 28-18, but it wasn't flawless. Sixties and I have already spoken about this. Last two games, including that one against the West Tigers, some late lapses have opened, well, not opened the door to the loss, but have certainly uh, prevented us from securing some much-needed for and against, and that was something that caught your eye from this contest. For sure, guys. I spoke to Mitch Moses on 2GB after the Tigers game, and it was pretty clear from the moment that I started interviewing him on the air that there was disappointment at the lapse in focus on defense in that last five minutes. And they did a similar thing, a very similar thing, against the Warriors. And when we had Mitch on and Gutho and Reid Marnie for post-game interviews, they all echoed that that was a frustrating part of the game and Brad would not have been happy with it. And as you guys mentioned, this is crucial when it comes to for and against because Parramatta, if you look at the top eight right now, we've got probably the worst for and against. We're not in the negative. We're at about plus 36. Um, Manly, who are, who are in eighth, plus 32. So they've got the worst for and against in the eight, but we've got the second worst. And it's going to be costly because when, you're, when there's such a logjam of, of um, teams on the same amount of points, you've got Melbourne on 24, Broncos 24, Eels 24, for and against is what actually matters, right? And these late lapses, they all add up. You know what I mean? They all add up over time. Mm -hmm. And if you do that three or four weeks, that then, you know, differentiates, you know, being on a 34 and against or a 64 and against. And that will actually, you know, decide the way that we finish, how we finish on the ladder and, prove costly come the end of the year. Overall, as you said, I think it was a slight return to form. Uh, it wasn't a complete performance because I just feel that at times, uh, you know, our start was we started better than we did um, in the previous week. We actually scored the first try. So we yeah, had that yeah. nine games. But that was something we celebrated. Yeah. <laughs> which was good. Right. Hey, I think Wanga, Wanga Blake has been a revelation again this year. Mike has been really good. He's getting better and better each week. So they're the, they're the key positives for me. Um, and we play well in patches. Like we had that little period there where Isaiah Papali'i scored, Gutho scored, then not too long after Micah scored. So we, we've proved that we can play well in patches. But, you know, we, we have these – we go in and out of the game and we can't do that because that's not a top four team uh, trait. So I think positive on the whole, still plenty to work on. But um, but yeah, it was a, it was you know we'll take the two points at home and, and I guess we'll move on to a big challenge uh, in the Broncos this week. 
And can I, you? Can I just um, jump in because Spiro raised something there with regard to Wonga that I just want to get his take on because mm. there'd been a number of people who, in certainly during the losses, have suggested that Wonga be moved back to the wing because he was playing so well on the wing. And I'm looking at it now and I'm saying the combination between Wonga and Micah is mm-hmm. improving on a weekly basis. Wonga, Wonga has been has, has played strongly throughout the season. Every time he's on the field, he's one of our strike players and you, you can't question what, what he, his intent is, is every week. But I, And I was someone last year who was advocating strongly that Wonga was a winger. Um, but now I'm looking at how they relate on the on that side of the field. I'm thinking you couldn't possibly want to break them up as a pairing. No way. No way. And I, I mentioned this last week, guys, but yeah. the communication between Wanga and Micah on the field is next level. It's, they probably talk more than any other two players uh, in the team. So they love each other. They love playing inside and outside of each other. You Even you look at the social media, just as an outsider looking in, the observations. There's chemistry. There is real chemistry there, and we've got to keep it going. They've got that connection with the, at the Fijian at the international level, and we need to just keep translating that to club level because it's a really lethal combination. And there are a lot of points that can be scored down that left side if we just keep them together. We saw that. You know, three of our five tries uh, on Friday night were scored off that left side through them two. So we just got to keep that keep that going. And, and no way in the world you'd even consider moving Wanga to the wing. He's a great center. Micah loves having him inside, and uh, that works really well for the pair. Yeah, I think that's a, a pretty good wrap-up on the Parramatta Eels win. Obviously moves them to their first consecutive victory since maybe round 11, I want to say. 11 and 12, yeah, correct. 11 uh, and 12. We, we played Manly, beat them, and then uh, Canberra the week after. So yeah. it's been a while. And so, I mean, we, we talked about it. It's about, you know, not necessarily baby steps, but foundational work and just, you know, building into those wins ahead of some of the tougher opposition coming up, which we're going to deal with starting this week with the Brisbane Broncos. But mm. going around the parks around 18, it wasn't short on drama and non parramatta games, mate. I think we had the Roosters obviously blew out the Dragons in the end, but there was that little uh, moment with Joe Manu where he, I don't know if he feigned an injury or had an injury, and then the defense held off him and he raced through the line and kicked the head for a try. Uh, what was your take on that one? Because that was one of the more bizarre sequences of play I've seen in some time. It was. The Kenny Cramp makes a return, <laughs> one of my all-time favorite uh, phrases. The Kenny Cramp, Kenny Edwards, uh, for those listeners that are not as familiar with the term, he used to always pull a cramp in the late stages of the game and it was always a, a good laugh for the fans. But, yeah, my take on that one and what we've seen in the days prevailing uh, gives us a little bit more context to that. Is it Joey Manu has actually suffered some sort of injury. I'm not sure exactly what it is at this stage, but uh, he was being iced up at training yesterday, at Roosters training yesterday. And look, at the end of the day, um, he plays with a lot of heart. He's a, a fantastic all-rounder, one of the, the great players at the Roosters. Oh, there's, and, no, there's no doubt his potential. He is an absolute superstar and uh, certainly <laughs> one of 60's favourite non-Paramatta players. He speaks about him glowingly all the time. Mm. Yeah, so my view is, you know, these things happen. You can get a cramp and, and run it off, and maybe that's what he did. And then as the hours went on and days after the game, he realized it was worse than what he thought. But, yeah, I mean, that's the, the beauty of the game. And if, you could, if you're smart enough to deceive a whole defensive line, you deserve a try. And, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I, I can't recall ever seeing a moment from Joey Manu that is in any way like – trying to stage anything that isn't uh, you know, like I've, I've never seen him get involved in in something remotely like that so I tend to I think I'd agree with the fact that maybe he was feeling like a niggle or that a cramp was coming on or something like that and then it's then it's gone just as quickly and he's taken off because he just doesn't strike me as the sort of player that would stage something like that just to beat an opponent I think that's probably yeah. Probably I'm, fair. I'm like, with you. Sixties. He certainly. There, there's other players in competition that obviously have a track record of you know either foul play or something like that. You don't give the benefit of the doubt to, but someone like Manu definitely, you know, unless it becomes a re- reoccurring thing, you give him the benefit of the doubt in this circumstance, especially since, like you said, Spiro, it seems to be like there is something lingering out of that game. And then, yeah, yeah. So it 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 has proven that 
what Sixties is saying. He's not faking an injury or anything. Um, and yeah, he, he, I don't know if he'll spend much time on the sidelines. That's still to be determined. But uh, but yeah, he's a, he's a he's a great player, man. And can't take anything away from him. Usually, I'm the first to call out. You know, clickbait is something that the game does not need. But I do have to admit, one of the great clickbait headlines came out of round 18, out at Four Pines Park. Uh, Adam O'Brien punches fan at uh, Four Pines. And I, had, I was like, what the hell is going on in this game? Because I saw the scoreline. I was like, 42-12, did, like, did he get confronted? And no, he's walking out of the box. <laughs> and obviously upset about something that happens. And there's a standing fan there <laughs> inside the box and he clocks it. That, uh, that got a good chuckle out of me. That was a classic. Good one. Good one. Good pickup. <laughs> and, uh, you know, these journos have a way of uh, spinning headlines to make it interesting and engaging and clickbait. And, you know, I saw they even put up a few, like, photos and stuff to try and deceive fans into thinking it was legit. But, um, but yeah, that was brilliant. On Adam O'Brien, while we're talking about him, um, it is, I know, and I hate having to speak about coaches being under pressure, and I know we're going to be speaking about that at, uh, at some length shortly with Brad Arthur and those rumours. But you've got to really, the Knights have to think about Adam O'Brien, is he their long-term coach? Because... You know, results aren't going their way. They've had a pretty average season. Have they got the roster? Yes and no. I think that they, they've got areas in their squad which probably aren't top eight, um, you know, standard. But, yeah, Adam O'Brien, he was talked up coming into, coming into the club. You know, he's the next big thing and he'll be a revelation. He'll be great at Newcastle. But when you look at the, the wins and losses, I think you've got to probably say that he's under a bit of pressure as a it's, coach. It's um, a cautionary 63, tale. 63 games, 28 wins, 34 losses, 44% win record. So just something to keep an eye on, I guess. I mean, you mentioned that we are going to talk about BA shortly because there was some very interesting news last night that broke uh, that I know Sixty's got a bit to talk about too. But, you know, given the speculation that happens with a lot of these coaches that don't win premierships, it is a reminder that A, winning a premiership is incredibly hard in an era where you have teams like the Storm, the Roosters and the Panthers. And B, if you're having success... Uh, in terms of making the top eight, top six, top four, each of those different metrics, you know, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> talking about the coaches, uh, had, we'll talk about the Tigers more in depth at the end of the uh, show, Spiro. But uh, Brett Kamoy had a funny comment. Um, it was taken a little bit out of context, but mm. essentially talking about it being disrespectful that the Panthers would rest seven players out of Origin three for their game after taking the loss uh, in the post game. <laughs> but yeah, I suppose. It's not great in Tiger Town right now, and and you know they're sort of reaching for not excuses, but anything that helps them soften the blow. Just a quick word on Brett Kamali, um, and we'll speak about the the Tigers' coaching future a bit later on. But I thought that that comment was just totally out of you know it was uncalled for. It was really um, a silly, silly comment from Brett Kamali. It just shows that unfortunately he's not up to that first grade head coach standard at the moment, maybe in the future. But to make a comment like that, it's I, I totally disagreed with him. Yeah. It doesn't matter who the Panthers were playing last week. Um, they, they're six points clear at the top. They don't. They really don't I, need to I, I, they, They've done the hard games, work you know? in order to have that luxury this week. And even then, you've got to beat them before you start taking comments like that. You know, yeah, 100%. Knock them over like you did last year. Then you can talk a bit of smack and smoke about, well, it's disrespect for the rest of the players. You can't get beaten by them and then, <laughs> and then lash out. <laughs> No way. Well, they're eight clear, right? Sorry, my my bad. They're yeah. eight points. With, with the win, they're eight points clear. Yeah, yeah. So they're probably gonna. They're, they've probably got the minor premiership wrapped canter. up. So yeah. So it's. I think it's a really smart move from Ivan Cleary. Um, uh, Nathan is actually in Bali on holidays at the moment, and uh, Isaiah Yo in Dubbo with his family as well. So it's smart, you know. Give your players a bit of time oh, to I recharge, no reset. I had no issues before. Mm. Yeah. And how so, many how many clubs? would love to be in that position. <laughs> 15 of them outside the campus, <laughs> I'll tell you that. Oh, exactly right. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was one of the most out there comments. Look, I think it's, it's symptomatic of a, of a rookie coach who's mm. in, the, in the glare of another press conference after another loss and struggling to find what to speak about in, in the wake of probably – a game that got away from them, that they actually had a genuine chance of winning. Absolutely. And, you know, one wonders if prior to the match, he'd thought about, uh, well, we got the win today and, and it's really because the Panthers disrespected 
um, our uh, our team in in their in their selections, and that he's just gone ahead like the uh, questions just hit him, and he's just he's come out with something that he planned to say, and it just didn't fit the the circumstances. But surely, if you're a team that just goes loss, 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 the last thing you're going to talk about is the opposition and their selection yeah. processes. So. Anyway, and um, the last major talking point, at least for me, out of round eighteen, uh, double boy for Melbourne. I mean, I can't recall. Maybe you got the stats, Spirit, but the first time they've slumped the three losses in what feels like decades in a row, mm. and then that was compounded yep. by the fact that Ryan Pappenhausen took a devastating direct knee to knee shot from uh, Jack Whiten, which ended up shattering the kneecap. And what I thought would have been maybe a couple months back for the finals, they're now talking season ender which is absolutely yeah. devastating for the Melbourne Storm, given the, the calibre of player that Pappenhausen is and how much of a difference he makes to them from the number one jersey. So the Storm haven't lost a game of three straight since 2015, guys. So it's been a, it's, it has been a while. It's uncharacteristic. I'm not sure what exactly is going on at the club. Um, I have a bit of a feeling that, yeah, injuries and origin period is costly for them, and that's understandable. But losing Pappenhausen is going to be a, a huge blow for them and their chances. I think this season, they, they're just in the top four, but Parramatta and the Broncos are on their tails. And, you know, with a few wins for Parra or the Broncos and a few losses for Melbourne, they're going to finish outside the top four. So, um, yeah, tough times for Melbourne. Uncharacteristic. You haven't seen it since 2015. It's been seven years since they've lost three on the trot. And, um, you know, they're up against South this week, which is going to be another tough game given the form that the Rabbitohs are in at the moment with yeah, the troll back in the team. So, mm-hmm. so they, they could be looking down at maybe four straight losses. Um, I reckon Craig will get them up for the, this next game. But, yeah, worrying signs at the Storm. And well, I, I think the thing is when you're watching them play, you, you can see them unravelling during a game. You can see chinks in the armour. Everywhere now, when that starts to happen, I look at a team and I go, I'm not sure where their next win is going to come from. But then again, with the storm, I look at some of the players that are there and go, well, the next the next win's going to come from Hughes or or Munster. Um, but yeah, once you start to take out strike players like Pappenhausen. That might have been another line that I would have used. You know, the next win's going to come through Pappenhausen. Well, it's not going to come through Pappenhausen. Mm-hmm. And then you have then you have um, a Brandon Smith who's suspended through showing his frustration out on the field with things not going as they should, and that air of invincibility that t- that that the Storm had about them, where we talked about it recently with the likes of Penrith and the Storm beat opponents before they before the balls even kicked off because of that psychological air of invincibility it's just not there at the moment i reckon every team's fancying their chances against them yeah well we proved that we could beat them i thought we would be one of the only clubs this year that could beat them but now there are a few others that are adding to that list so it'll be interesting it'll be a very very interesting next little period and a test for the storm as well because oh, yeah. when you think about it, you know, next year, no Brandon Smith. Um, they're not going to, they haven't really signed a replacement. I don't think they will. They're going to stick with Harry Grant and have him as their starting hooker. So this is really a test for life after uh, Brandon Smith and, and you take a few of the other players out as well. This is what they're going to be looking at over the next few years. So it's a, it's a really important patch for the Storm. And moving on, Spiro, you sort of teased this and I, I followed up on it. But last night we had, uh, I suppose, bizarre developing story about an undisclosed Sydney club saying that they've been offered the services of Brad Arthur as a head coach, which then Brad Arthur and the Eels both move very quickly to uh, quash with both of them saying that he's going to be here seeing out his contract at the very minimum, uh, if not beyond. So what's going on here? Because I know 60s, you're going to give us some insight from your perspective because you're obviously a very good tipster for TCT and Spiro, you got a bit too. Uh, is this a case of rogue management trying to frame a market for their client? Is this a case of a rival in a role club trying to stabilise the Eels? I don't know. What's going on? Look, I would not be surprised if it's it's purely a management play and, um, you know, his, his uh, management have gone and shopped him around to try and test his, his market value and see what he's worth. But the reality is, in my view as well, unfortunately, guys, is that his management 
probably seeing the writing on the wall. And in their view, they think that BA is under pressure. Uh, and, and come the end of the year, maybe the Eels will look at other options or, you know, once his contract is, is up, uh, look at other options. So they are seeing the writing on the wall. They are seeing that he's under pressure. Now is probably the only time that he's going to be able to snag another coaching gig. There are so many on offer. And maybe when his contract's up at the end of 2024, those opportunities won't be there. So they're thinking, well, now we've probably got to jump ship for the, for the greater good of Brad and his future. And they're shopping him around. I wouldn't be surprised if the Dragons are the club that, um, you know, BA is being shopped around to because we've got that talk around that Anthony Griffin is potentially under a bit of pressure, potentially the Bulldogs as well. But um, I'm not too sure about that. So, yeah, this is a a really interesting story. Uh, Danny Weidler obviously broke it on Channel 9 News last night. And Brad has no knowledge of this at the moment. Uh, he denies being, you know, agitated or wanting to leave the club. But I wouldn't be surprised if uh, his management see the writing on the wall. They're looking at other options and they think that BA is under pressure. So um, I don't, I, just quickly, I'd just like to give my take briefly on BA and the coaching situation. Uh, inside word from the club is that no one wants him gone. Uh, he is safe and they believe in him. But one thing I'll say, and this is the only thing I'll say, is that you can't have the same coach forever and there will come a point when uh, his coaching will be under the microscope, unfortunately. And I I really like BA. He's done some great things for the club. He got us out of a very tough period with the salary cap scandal and whatnot and he's been a, a fantastic leader for our club for so many years. But there will come a point when it will come to KPIs. He will need to meet certain uh, benchmarks, otherwise the club will look at moving him on. Now it might not be now; it might be two years down the track. But there will come a point when we're going to need. There will be a crossroads where they will say, "Look, BA, you've been here for ten or twelve years. Unfortunately, no premiership, and I think we've run out of ideas, and we need a, the club needs to go in a different direction." That time may come, but is that time now? I'm not too sure, and it's, the timing of this is very sus and very, very odd. No, interesting take there, Spiro, and certainly there's some merit to it, absolutely. I've already gone out and said that, you know, be careful what you wish for when it comes to replacing NRL coaches because, if anything, we, we talk about there's been a duff of uh, quality NRL coaches out there and while there will be a point where Brad could become stale, I'm not sure if it is now, but Sixies, I'm keen to hear what you have to say about this given that you've got probably better connections than me when it comes to reading the room with the Eels. Well, I, I think for a start, the, the first thing I'll say is BA's not going anywhere. It's it was a bizarre story to come out. Now, I'm I'm not going to turn around and say that um, a, a management of anyone doesn't go out there and and find out what the current market value is for um, for their client because that happens with coaches. It happens with players. That goes on all the time because it 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 just gives them. Well, they've got to earn their money, <laughs> agents and managers of, of players and and, uh, and coaches. But um, the the man himself, which is what we I think we have to come back to, is first of all, I don't think he's under any pressure from um, Parramatta management because we've literally just started the run. Uh, when I say just started, we've been in the finals, uh, been in the top eight every round since round one, 2019. Now, people talk about windows closing. While ever you're in the finals football, you're in a window. You might not have as strong a chance as certain other teams, but whenever you're in finals football, you're in the window to get a title. Now, given that Parramatta have waited so long to become regular finalists... I don't know why there would be either A, fans agitating for change or B, um, any suggestion from from people that we need to change the captain of the ship right now because, as I said, I'm very... I, I, look, I want a title as much as the next fan. I've, I've had to wait the same number of years as everyone else for Parramatta to win a title, but Again, we're up there in finals football every year. And while we're up there in finals football every year, I think about what the alternative is. 
And the alternative is what all these co- all these clubs that are going through coaching merry-go-rounds are going through right now. And you have a look at the teams that are at the top of the of the table, and you're talking about stable coaching setups for most of them. You also talk about how teams have gone that have taken a punt on a coach in recent years that supposedly has great pedigree. I think at this stage, the only one that's looking really solid about that is the Sharks with Fitzgibbon, but this is his first year. Now, we look back to Seabold, Anthony Seabold, cracker of a first year with South, coach of the year. How did it work out when he went to the Broncos? Not so good. Not so good at all. Um, what happened with Trent Barrett? He was lauded as much as as what uh, Cameron Seraldo is at the moment for his work with the Panthers. What happened there? Uh, look, there's risks. Sometimes risks pay off. Sometimes they don't. I think as far as Parramatta is concerned, stability has been the key for the Eels to turn around their fortunes. Now, we're not just talking about on-field fortunes. We're talking about their off-field success as well. And the off-field success has been built upon the consistency of on-field results. We wouldn't have the sponsorship money that we have now and the corporate backing if the team weren't consistently finals football teams. So, look, it's unlikely that there's going to be agitation from within the club to move BA on. The bloke bleeds blue and gold, so he's not going to be agitating to leave. I think what we have is the that likelihood that there's been sounding out market value and interest by his management. It's gone to St George as one of them. You've got a club that's leaked then that they've had an approach. Um, why would they do that? Hey, they're looking to move on their current coach. Bingo. Just agitating for the hot seat. That's That's it. That's it. That's how I see how it gets out. And you know what? Think about the clubs that really are leaking at the moment. You're talking about St. George starting to leak all the stuff around their coach. We saw what happens with the West Tigers when they were going through their situation of working towards a coaching change. They were leaking it. Like, it was leaked to the media before Madge knew what was going on. Who would want to go to clubs like that? I mean, if anything else... What if this has been leaked by the dragons and and you know there may be a chance that that's the case? Boy, what a message that would send to any potential coaches! Don't come here if your management approaches us. We'll leak it to the media if it's convenient. So, you know, it's. I I think the last thing that is any concern for me is that BA is going anywhere. So, yeah. That's that's my take. A couple of interesting different uh, points of view there. Obviously, that's why you have discussion. You know, I, I can see where Spiro is coming from because you know, in terms of you talk about not wearing out your welcome, but there can be a degree of uh, what was the word I used? Uh, God, I'm, I'm having a brain fade now. But when uh, when you become stagnant, right? But at the same time, as long as you're being a consistent finals contender, like you're talking sixties, and, and you're making year-on-year improvements, which I think the Eels still are when they, you know, came so close and, and probably should have beaten the Penrith Panthers if not for both a horrific injury toll, dummy half, and some really controversial calls. Uh, I still think that stagnation isn't a concern for the Eels. And I think that, by the same token, a lot does ride on this final series showing that we can make a deep push. So uh, regardless of what happened last night, whether it was management trying to frame a market for Brad Arthur, you know, in terms of coming back to the Eels and saying, look, this is what we've got out there, you're going to have to match it for an extension. Who, like, I'm not really fussed as long as both uh, the Eels and Arthur are you know, in accord when it comes to seeing out his contract at the very minimum. So we'll, we'll wait and see what has to play out there. But given that... And um, can, I just, can I just jump in there as well? I also understand that because I went through that with Brian Smith as a coach at the, at the Eels. When he was appointed as coach of the Eels, I was ecstatic because I thought this is a man that can deliver success to Parramatta. And everything about his early years as coaching, even though we weren't getting titles and even though we were, we kept bowing out at the preliminary final stage, 
I mean, that that was our Achilles heel. We couldn't get past preliminary finals in his early years. But everything about what he did said to me, we are going to have a golden era of success. Then things started to get a bit strange around him. And I that's where I think he was there for too long. He had great success in turning nobodies into somebodies in his early years at the Parramatta. And then we started getting strange pickups, uh, strange signings, strange team selections, text messages to players before games. There was a there was a whole list of things where it felt like, as you talked about, the welcome was worn out and then Parramatta dived down deep into the bottom half of the table under his coaching. Like we they after they made the grand final, it was a steady uh, decline until his last full year of 2005, we had a bit of a resurgence because all of a sudden the purse strings were opened and we bought a whole uh, swag of players to the club to reinvigorate uh, the on-field performances. But again, we had um, a disastrous uh, preliminary final match against the Cowboys that particular year. And that was basically uh, the end of it for uh, Brian Smith, and it was announced that the start of the following year that that would be his last year, and he didn't even see out his last year. But I went down that path with Brian Smith. By the time we were in 2004, I was saying, we need a change. We need a change. He's run out of answers. He talks about every year being a rebuilding year and that we're probably not going to win it. So, yeah, I, I do understand when fans feel that way, but I just... I don't see it with this now because, as I said, I think we're actually seeing the fruits of the early labour now. I mean, I literally don't count the start of our rebirth until I, – I shouldn't really say it this way, but it felt like that salary cap issues in 2016 meant that everything that had started before 2016 in the first two years meant nothing. It, we would we we'll back to square one almost. So um, yeah, I'm. I, I think the best is still ahead of us. Yeah, I mean, and it's a combined arms approach. You mentioned that the spending in 2005 helped reinvigorate the Eels. That management side of the football department is going to be huge in keeping the Eels competitive. Like I said, combined, oh, combined yeah, arms. Yep. You've got to develop your internal prospects. Astute uh, recruitment will help you know augment that, and every now and then you might pick up a superstar to fill up a position of need. So that's going to keep the Eels highly competitive. And 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 like us, like you said, sixties, I don't think stagnation has kicked in just yet. And I mean, if anything, we're, we're seeing some serious signs of progression. If anything, based on what we had against the Penrith Panthers last year, who ended up winning the premiership. So yeah, it's definitely a space to uh, wait and see because you know maybe there is something to it. But I think more than anything, it's probably just management putting out some tendrils and what they would feel was due diligence for their client ahead of a potential contract renegotiation. Yeah, and I'm I'm interested in Spiro's takes on what what the Tigers have decided with that combination of Tim Sheens and Benji Marshall. Well, it's a, it's a nice little pivot, isn't it? If we're talking about the Parramatta Eels coaching future. Looking at what the West Tigers are doing, it's uh, it's something. It, it sure is a decision amongst all the ones they could have made. Yeah, look, my take, guys, I really like what the Tigers have done, to be honest. And I know there's been mixed commentary on this, but I think it's a, a great idea. Bring someone like Tim Sheens, who has a lot of experience. He's done it before. He's a smart guy. I don't see his age as an issue at all. You look at someone like Wayne Bennett. And, um, and you know, he's actually older than Tim Sheens and he's starting that new coaching role next year with the Dolphins. So, yeah, I think it's a masterstroke, to be honest. And having someone like Benji serve as an apprentice for two years will be, will be huge. He's got a great footy brain. Um, and I think that, yeah, Benji will be a great coach. It's clear that he wants to focus on that uh, in terms of his post-playing career. He's, he loves his media thing, but it's not challenging him enough and he's not getting enough satisfaction out of that compared to the satisfaction he's going to get out of coaching. So it's so really interesting, but I think it's a, a great move for the Tigers. And it would have been great if um, if Benji would have been able to serve maybe a few more years under Tim Sheens. But I think two is good for that. His first year coaching as well, he will have Tim Sheens there as a supporter and as a mentor. So it's I think it's really going to be a, a three-year sort of thing. And Benji's going to be the front man. He's going to have a, a great team around him as well that will help. 
So it's not just Benji. He's the man that's leading the way and he's a great leader for the club, but he's going to have a lot of people around him to help out as well. I wonder if it's going to start a revolution in the way that coaching careers can be developed because this is like, to me, this is like an apprenticeship. Um, And we talk about coaching apprenticeships where coaches spend time being a head coach at a, a lower grade level and then maybe the assistant coach at first grade level and, 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 and that's the pathway. But this is one where the head coach says, like literally, I'm here on an interim basis to prepare this next bloke to be the head coach. So Tim Sheens is, is basically saying, yeah, I'm the head coach, but I'm also mentoring the next head coach. That is part of my duties. So uh, it's an interesting approach that they're taking. If it works, you then wonder whether it might become a template that other clubs, if their situation allows it, if they've got a, a Tim Sheens or a Phil Gould or, or, or someone like maybe a Craig Bellamy takes on a similar role with um, the next coach at the Storm or at another club, yeah. if you know, where you have a head of football whose, whose job is actually, um, you know, a, a coach mentor. Um, for the next coach coming through. So, um, yeah, it's it, it, it's an interesting take. It's it, it almost feels like it's an ideal role for a coach who's getting close to an experienced head coach who's getting close to retirement. Mm. It's a bit like Wayne Bennett with Jason Demetrio as well. It's yes. a similar sort of thing to what happened there. So, and I think, I think you know, maybe the results is you haven't been great for South, but it's been – a fairly seamless transition. Had Adam Reynolds still been there, I think it would have been a lot better for them. So they've done okay, the Rabbitohs, and that, that has sort of worked. So the yeah. model is there. Yeah, and you know what? You can't judge 2022 yet. So, like, if Souths go on a run Absolutely. and and they are grand finalists or go deep into the finals or win it, whatever the case may be, you go – this is a model that worked, right? Yeah. And, and it's just like – and one of the replies that I said, um, for example, about BA this year is, well, 2022 is still on. Parramatta is still, you know, up to their, their uh, eyes in this, in this premiership. And it's the same with any of the teams that are still competing. Don't, you can't judge their success now. You judge how they go when they see when they the whistle is blown on their last game. So yeah, it could well be that South prove that that's a genius move, and who knows, the West Tigers might prove that it's a, a genius move well, for them as well. I appreciate the optimism you two are showing. I'm a little bit more pessimistic on the outcome for West. I, I'm not sure. We talk about processes. I'm not sure if it was the right process for West, given that Tim Sheens, you know, went from being a general manager or coaching director. I'm not really sure what his official title was. To stepping into head coach, uh, it just reeks of they they panicked after Serato knocked them back, and maybe it works out for them in the long term. But I don't know. Uh, it just feels like more classic West Tigers for me, and I'm I'm prepared to <laughs> I'm prepared to eat humble pie if it turns around in the next three to five years. But uh, it's going to be a long long process for them. You know, it's funny because uh, like I, I can I can absolutely see that the fumbled process has has taken them there uh if it if it ends up working out for them uh, as i said that could be a, a, a brilliant outcome mm-hmm. and, and prove to be a genius move but uh, like you i feel that there's an element where they've had to stumble into it because they in announcing that seraldo knocked them back and it was that. I mean, that announcement. And was, it could be sliding doors because you look back for the Parramatta Eels. They were very close to picking Jason Taylor over Brad Arthur, going back to. Well, they had. 20, 20, they yeah. literally had. And and you know we look, we saw how with JT, who was obviously an outstanding assistant coach and a great tactical mind, as a non head coach uh, staff member, he just hasn't panned out as a head coach. And had, had the Eels gone down that path, you know maybe the Eels are mired in you know, mediocrity for a lot longer. So this might end up working out for the West Tigers insofar as having Serrata spurn them. But I, I remain pessimistic and, and pr- like, you know, it's going to be what have you done for me lately in the case of the Tigers. And guys, just moving on, there's a bit of a breaking story. One of the unpleasant outcomes from 
last Friday night was the uh, beefed up security out at Combank Stadium. Uh, you know, going in there, everyone got the metal detectors going through, and there was a police escort for Mitchell Moses as it came to light that he'd been uh, dealing with death threats throughout the week. Uh, we've got an update on that story with the New South Wales police identifying two teens as uh, potential parties responsible for the death threats towards Mitch and his family. So hopefully uh, they can get that one fixed up ASAP because that was, like I said, very unpleasant for both, uh, or especially for Mitch, but just, you know, as a fan, seeing him have to deal with that was, you know, not something the league really needs. It's a bit of a black eye for the game. Not for its own fault of its own, I'd say that. It's just a a nasty little piece of, uh, I suppose, uh, social media fallout that we have to deal with now in this age. Well, it did feel strange, didn't it, having the metal detectors run over every one of us going into the ground. Yes. Uh, and, guys, can I just jump in? I, I've received a statement as well um, from New South Wales Police a short time ago. I'm just having a look back at my emails um, as we speak. Now, let me just read out the statement just to provide a bit of context for our listeners and, and then get a bit more reaction from you guys as well. Well, but I quote, uh, on Sunday, 10th of July, 2022, New South Wales Police commenced an investigation after receiving reports of alleged threats made towards a 27-year-old man. On Monday, 18 July, detectives attached to North Sydney Police Area Command attended Greenacre and spoke to two males aged 15 and 16. Jeez. They will both be dealt with under the Young Offenders Act for using carriage service to menace harass or cause offence. So that is the latest from New South Wales Police. I've just received that information uh, through the various channels that I have and links with the police. And, um, yeah, it's it's pretty disgusting uh, to hear that 15 and 16-year-olds are getting away with something like this. They will be dealt with, uh, but the fact that they can do that and they have access, direct access to Mitch and his family, uh, it's it's horrific and it's it's just terrible to see. It's uh, these are the sort of things that make me increasingly sound like a boomer. I feel like, in so far as you know, like fifteen and sixteen year olds, what are you doing? Like the and and I, I suppose the big argument about anonymity on the internet and sort of the bravado it gives a lot of people to act beyond the scope they would usually act in a face to face capacity is a whole discussion in and of itself. But jeez, that's a it's it's a big reason why I I don't delve too far into Twitter in particular, but social media in general. I use it to keep my sport updates and get, you know, the latest breaking news for the Eels and the other teams I support, like the Seahawks and the Mariners. But, uh, geez, that's a, that sure is something, boys. It does open up a whole other topic about, uh, you know, players and accessibility. And one of the things that fans do enjoy out of uh, the uh, social media is that, additional level of connection with the players, being able to uh, follow the players or or send messages to them through social media, um, look at some of the content that the players post up. It just it allows, it allows fans to be closer to the game in that respect. But then we see this other side where you get um, on one level the, um, the harassment of players the abuse, the personal abuse of players through social media, and now you've got the extreme of the death threats. And and whilst we go, one hand you might go, well, this is a, a couple of teens and they're being idiots and the likelihood of carrying out death threats is, is probably minimal. Unfortunately, we've seen um, in cases, in a, even in Australia, um, certainly overseas, that age doesn't mean that a, a young person can't carry through with a threat. No, absolutely not. So it's, um, yeah, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty sick sort of scenario that's in and you can understand why it was taken so seriously. Mm-hmm. And although the Spiro's just read out the, uh, the line about will be dealt with under the Young Offenders Act, um, you know, it should simply be will be dealt with under the law. Well, and this that's is what a, we should. This is a very agile, very agile space in the like the legal area is, uh, you know, the the fact that social media can have such an influence psychologically on a lot of people, and, and the fact that people can reach out and be so sinister and, and uh, or malfeasant, I suppose, uh, in the way they interact with other people. It's 
it's very much uh, the law is catching up to the actual offenders right now. Oh, mate, you, look, your your lexicon is is um, outstanding. That you've now you've now incorporated the word malfeasant into a, a rugby league podcast. It's uh, I feel like you should take a bow <laughs> for, for that. Uh, there is any work. I know it's not a. I know that it, we're. You know, I'm just having a little giggle when we're on such a serious topic. But man, you've outdone yourself with, with that. Got, so. to, got to bring out a gem every now and then. Unfortunately, the context of it isn't the greatest. But thankfully for Mitch, hopefully he can put a close to what is a very ugly chapter for him and his family. Because geez, you know, you, you see how toxic social media can be. Even just talking about sports in general, let alone having to deal with death threats. So. Uh, good work by the New South Wales Police. Hopefully that is all said and done except for the actual prosecution, which we don't have, we don't have to worry about, hopefully. Uh, but turning to some good news, this is one we probably expected, boys, but Ryan Madison is tipped to take his place in the team this week, returning from a rib injury that's troubled him for a number of weeks now. Yeah, a big addition uh, back into our side. And the one thing that we missed, I think, is, is his offloading game. He had... Um, I believe 20 offloads for the season. Or sorry, I think there were 20 offloads in the Roosters game and he had like four or five or something mm-hmm. like that. It, it just shows that he's so important when it comes to, um, you know, that offloading part of our game, which is such a huge part of what Parramatta do. So he'll be, he'll be welcome and an important piece of the puzzle back. There are also, there's also a word that maybe Bryce Cartwright might be recalled into the side this week, re- uh, returning from a rib issue as well. So watch this space. I'm not sure who makes way on the bench, but um, yeah, potentially Bryce Cartwright's going to be back in the team. Obviously adds a bit of interest to Team West Tuesday. The Parramatta Eels in large are pretty stable when it comes to their game day 17, but Madison's obviously going to mean, or Madison's return means that someone's going to make way. Uh, obviously Jake Arthur or Kai Rod will probably the likely candidates there. Be interesting to see how it does shape up. But yeah, the Brisbane Broncos are the opponents this week and they're going to be a good challenge. They're coming off a, a tight win over the Gold Coast Titans. Uh, but the Eels tend to match up pretty well against the Broncos in recent years. So I'm, I'm fairly optimistic, boys. Well, mate, I, I, if you had said to me at the start of the year, our uh, matches against the Broncos will be a challenge for us to overcome, especially at home, I would have gone, what? <laughs> what? It'd be more like, but, how bad are we playing rather than how good are the Broncos playing? Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, credit to Kevy, he's gotten a young team with the addition of Adam Reynolds in particular, but a young team uh, up playing some really good football and fairly consistent. Yeah, yeah. You credit where it's due and... Uh, they they placed themselves into an outstanding position to qualify for finals football. They've returned to the the old days where they could call upon uh, players of, on the fringe. A horde of young talent that just seems to never end. Yeah, yeah, got... but but John, not only not only young talent. There's blokes out there who, uh, well, I don't know if the word journeyman is the is the right option, but they've. They've tried their hand at other clubs before. They're up playing um, you know, Q Cup up in Queensland, and the Broncos call on them, and they come, they come up, come out and do a job. Mm-hmm. Like absolutely, the, the wingers. Look at the wingers last week. It's yeah, and then yeah. Like, like we said, Adam Reynolds obviously core recruitment. Another player that we we both like sixties, and that I think the Eels were looking at and just couldn't quite get was Kurt Capewell. He's been huge for them too. So they've, they've done a really mm. good job getting some core senior pieces to add that uh, degree of leadership that they were lacking in recent years. And obviously just uh, some of those fantastic young players are starting to mature and realise their potential. And then throwing those two factors and suddenly, like you said, 60s, the fringe guys, and this is something that the Parramatta Reels have been, you know, really been a benefactors of in recent years is having those fringe guys come up and be first graders or plus first graders. And it makes such a huge difference to the depth of your squad when you have those guys standing tall. And how much do you factor in self-belief? So you've got the the team this year have been achieving the results, even achieving results when they've had key players out, like Reynolds has had his time out of the team. You've had origin players missing at different times. And then all of a sudden the team is like, well, next man up's getting the job done. We can do this. So they're, they're going into games with the belief in what they're doing mm-hmm. and it's a whole different kettle of fish for them this year. They are a, a different proposition to play. 
as as you said, the young players are realising their potential. Um, older players are, are in the best form of their career. The journeymen that are that are getting a chance from the club are, are, are responding when called upon. Yeah, they're they're in a good place. And adds a yeah a very interesting backdrop to this game. Given, like I said, we tend to match up pretty well against the Broncos in recent years, but they're going to come into this game with plenty of confidence. And the Eels looking to go three in a row ahead of that Penrith game, which you know shapes up pivotal, not so much for the minor premiership because Penrith is so far ahead, but for the Eels forging right deep into a, a spot for contention for the top four. So lots to talk about mm. in the preview podcast tomorrow. Before we do go, Spiro, we'll get your tip for the game against the Broncos. Obviously, 60s and I will go into depth about that uh, on Wednesday. But how do you see this one playing out at, uh, Com- I was about to say Bank West, but Combank Stadium on Thursday night? <laughs> It's always going to be Bank West, isn't it? Just, it's, it's hard you know, to show. Given, given that they're also, you know, uh, it's parent company, uh, uh, child company there, it's kind of hard to shake it. But, yeah, yeah the, first, the first name, and it sort of sticks. I know, I know. It's it's the same for me. Huge game, guys. It's um, it's really, really an important game for both teams in terms of that top, the race of the top four because both Parramatta and the Broncos on 24 points – and the Storm as well. I think Para should get the job done, but it'll be a very tight game. I'm going to say Parramatta 1-12. to 12. Um, Man of the match, I think um, Clint Gutherson's going to step up. He played well in that second half last week. I think he's going to step up. And Ryan Madison to score at any time try scorer. I'm not going to go first okay. try scorer. I can take that, yep. But Matto for an anytime try scorer. So I think it'll be a really good game. Parry get the job done in a tight one by only a margin of between 1 to 12. And uh, Gutho to step up and Matto anytime. There you go. Beautiful. Well, I think we'll sign off there, boys. We had a lot to talk about this week. Like I said, it was a pretty crazy round 18 of rugby league action. As always, thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen. We'll catch you guys tomorrow as we go back to back to back for the preview podcast. Make sure if you're out at the game on Thursday night to catch us live at Jack's Bar and Grill. Otherwise, stay safe. Go you eels.